Welcome to the last message in our Set Free series. I'll tell you again that um, we were not able to record this live on Sunday, so I'm doing this in the friendly confines once again of my office. But with that being said, let's uh, get into this topic of laziness, and I'm going to have to admit that I've been researching laziness most of my adult life. So I'm kind of excited about doing this, while at the same time I've really had a hard time figuring out how to begin this message. But then I got this email from somebody who listens online. He wrote, Dear Dr. Kolb, this series has been killing me. Envy and pride and anger have hit me right between the eyes. But this week, you're not going to get me. Laziness is not my gig. I'm productive. I work hard. I've got a lot going on. I manage my time. So you're not going to get me on this one. Well, I had a laugh at that because just because you're busy and productive doesn't mean you're not lazy. I mean, just because all of your spice racks are alphabetized or you got a clean desk or your garage looks like you could eat supper off of it doesn't mean that you, you can't be lazy. I mean, people think I'm pretty well organized and productive, and for the most part, I am. But just like all of you, while I'm not slothfully lazy, I can really be selectively lazy. So to get us going today, I want to give you my definition of lazy. It's this. When comfort wins over effort and I fail to do the right thing, that's lazy. Now, using that definition, I know I can be lazy in significant relationships. I can be lazy with my time or my talent or my treasure. I can be lazy when it comes to doing the difficult work or anything that disrupts my comfort. I mean, how about you? I mean, when you got something really, really tough that needs to be done, do you ever find you suddenly have all this other stuff to you that just has to get done too? I mean, you don't want to face that situation. So all of a sudden you think, I better clean my office or answer email or change the water in the fish tank or write a romance novel or trim my nose hair. I mean, just as long as I don't need to do that other difficult thing. Friends, believe me, been there, done that. And believe me, I know lazy. As a matter of fact, I know it so well I've actually learned how to procrastinate my laziness, which is very impressive if you stop and think about it. But here's what I also know. While you and I may not be slothfully lazy, we're definitely selectively lazy. I've come up with some statements that may prove my point. I mean, how many of you have ever said or thought this? I don't have enough time to finish this right now, so there's really no point in getting started. Or, it's really too nice out today to spend time on that. Or, I'm too tired to go to church today. I think I'll listen online later. I'll just hit the snooze button and read a couple of chapters in my Bible. Or, if I wait long enough, someone else will do it. Or mow the lawn, that's why we have children. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there are times when comfort may actually be the right thing. After all, God gave us the Sabbath day. I also know some people need to work less so that they have the capacity to do the right thing. Remember, here's that definition again. When comfort wins over effort and I fail to do the right thing, that's being lazy. And still you might be thinking, oh, come on, Barry, what's the big deal? What if comfort wins? I mean, how, how can that be so destructive? Well, let me give you a couple of ways that I see laziness being destructive. First of all, laziness keeps us from living the fulfilled life God intends for us. Laziness kind of insulates us from spiritual transformation, and, and regardless of where you are spiritually, God has a much bigger plan for your life than comfort. Jesus said, I have come that you might have an abundant life, but nowhere does it talk about comfort. 
Laziness messes with that vertical relationship with God. Laziness also messes with our horizontal relationships. Laziness can wound a marriage or destroy a family or hurt friendships. We find ourselves relationally in deep trouble when we choose comfort over effort. Let me give you a little example. Dad comes home from work. Mom's been home all day taking care of sick kids, and she really needs some adult conversation. But Dad, who's just home, chooses comfort and shuts down communication. And in shutting down that communication, he causes bitterness to arise. Then while he's laying there on the couch watching TV, Junior comes in and says, Hey, Dad, can we go play catch or shoot some hoops? Dad says, No, not now. Maybe after a while. And Junior walks out muttering, Yeah, it's always after a while. Or maybe you're a super mom. You're busy and on the go. Laziness shows up in your life that you never slow down long enough to deal with the brokenness in your own life that's driving and motivating you to be so super. Friends, no one is immune. Laziness is everywhere. It's destroying parts of your life. But let's go beyond my opinion. Let's see what God has to say about laziness, and I'll let you know in advance. It's not very flattering. I'm going to start with Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 to 34. The writer says, I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one lacking sense. I saw that it was overgrown with thorns, it was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Bandit scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Now I'm sure the owner of the vineyard had good intentions. No doubt he wanted a vineyard free of weeds and thorns, but apparently he also wanted a nap. Like you and I often do, he chose comfort over effort. Now, there are a few words that jump out of this text. One of them is a clear sign of laziness is poverty. The Bible makes a connection between poverty and laziness, but I am not saying that anybody who is poor is lazy. I mean, I, our, our minds immediately go to financial poverty, but poverty has several faces. There could be relational or emotional or spiritual poverty. The point is that there is a consequence of laziness, and poverty is one of them. There's another word here, it's scarcity. Scarcity is the lack of abundance. I said before, Jesus came that we might have an abundant life. Laziness attacks abundance. Now, just like we have different faces of poverty, there are different faces of abundance. I know a lot of TV preachers talk about financial abundance, even though God doesn't promise that. He just promises abundance. It could be financial, but it could also be relational or an opportunity to use your gifts. I mean, whatever type of abundance God wants to share, they can be decimated by laziness. One more thing popped out in this passage. It's a little phrase, lacking sense. I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one lacking sense. There's a difference between lacking sense and things that don't make sense. We live in a world where a lot of stuff just doesn't make sense, but what we're talking about here is lacking sense, being foolishness, and, and being foolish, and laziness is connected to it. So what are you going to do? I think you need to get a sensible perspective, and I think the sensible perspective is this. I'm not lazy. I just don't care. We don't really need to work harder. We just need to care more. That'll change everything. So let me give you two things that I think that you and I have to care for or we are going to battle laziness forever. 
First, we must care about God's bigger picture. And what is God's bigger picture? It's simply this, that you and I are managers of our time, our talent, and treasure. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says a person who is put in charge as a man manager must be faithful. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives us a very clear example. He talks about a master going away on a trip who, in proportion to their abilities, gives each of his servants some money to take care of. He gives five bags of gold to one, three to two to another, and one to the last. He says, invest it while I'm gone. Well, long story short, he comes back home. And the man he'd given five to comes and says, Master, I've doubled it. You gave me five. I've got ten right now. And the master's full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you've, been, you've been faithful in handling a small amount. I'm going to give you more. Let's celebrate. The second service says, said, said, you've given me two. I doubled it. Here's four. Again, he hears, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling a small amount. I'll give you more. Let's celebrate. But then the third guy says, I was afraid I'd lose that bag. So I hid it in the ground, and here it is. Now, i got to tell you, the master does not say, well done, good and faithful servant. What he says is this, you wicked and lazy servant. That's pretty strong. Now, why did he say that? Well, in verse 29 of that chapter, it says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. You see, friends, God's bigger picture that we must care about is this. He made us managers of our time, talents, and treasures, and he doesn't want us to bury them. He wants us to be faithful and invest them. When I understand that, it motivates me to want to choose the right thing. And second, we must care about the gift of today. But here's what I see a lot of people doing. They're always regretting the past, and they're always worrying about the future. Now, Jesus calls time out in Matthew 6, 34. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So what's the perspective? Well, I've got to learn to see and to use today as a gift. I mean, after all, our lives are made up of tens of thousands of gifts called today. And if I view each, each day as a gift, every morning I'll get up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice in it. What a wonderful gift he's given me today. I don't treat it like an obligation, but as a passion. It changes everything. But sadly, a lot of people treat the day like this. They say, if only I can make it through today. Or they say, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Just get me to the weekend. See, these people don't view today as a gift. Every night when my head hits the pillow, I want to have very few regrets, but lots of deep satisfaction. But friends, for that to happen, I've got to fight for that day to be a gift. Here's the bigger picture perspective. God has given me time and talents and treasure. He's made me a manager, and today I've got to view that as a gift. And if I do, that changes everything. Now, let's get to something really practical. I want you to think of an area where you see some laziness in your life. How do you battle it? Well, I've put together a little making sense of a plan checklist, and it's five steps. You're thinking about that area of laziness? You're going to do something about it? Well, here's step number one. Stop being surprised when discipline and work are uncomfortable. I mean, raise your hand if you have any bad habits. If you do, you've got disciplines. You're capable of having them. I mean, a bad habit is a discipline. 
the question is, what do you want to be disciplined in? And you can choose. I know, but a lot of people say, well, Barry, it's so hard to change. It doesn't come easy to me. In my pastoral sensitivity, I kind of always go, duh, that's why they call it a discipline. This is part of being a follower of Christ, gaining some spiritual disciplines. I think of a, a friend of mine, for he'd been a Christ follower for about 20 years, and I still, from time to time, hear him say something like this. You know, I just can't read the Bible or pray on a daily basis. I'm just not disciplined enough. And yet I'll tell you, the same man, every single day before he goes to work, he goes to Starbucks. That takes discipline and about $100 a month. Friends, don't be surprised when discipline and hard work are uncomfortable. It's going to take something to conquer that laziness. Here's the second thing I'd tell you. Seek to really understand God's bigger picture in the gift of today. I mean, if you get that, your choices of doing the right thing are going to be a whole lot easier. Get that, or you're going to continue to fight laziness the rest of your life. And third, set a realistic plan to develop some life-enhancing habits. The point here is to break the grip of laziness, so I, I begin with a plan that pushes me and doesn't defeat me. Often when I challenge people to read the Bible more, pray more, they'll, they'll say something like this, well, here's my plan, starting tomorrow, I'm going to read the whole Bible every day. Friends, that's not realistic. I mean, how about starting with a minute a day, or a chapter a day, that would be more real. And if you're lazy in the area of exercise and nutrition, be realistic. Maybe you need to start with two or three times a week for 10 or 20 minutes. That's realistic. I mean, it's totally unrealistic to think that in a week you could have a chiseled body like mine. I'm just kidding on that one. You know, maybe you watch too much TV. I mean, then you got to say, I'm going to limit my television to X number of hours a week, and then you figure that out. It's got to be realistic, friends, or it's not going to work. And then four, share that plan with a trusted and encouraging friend. Once you got the plan, go public with it. Now, I'm not suggesting you email blast your company or church members, but everybody knows if you're going to get things done, it helps to make an agreement with someone else. That's why it's so important to be in a small group or to have a godly accountability partner, somebody to whom you can say, friend, I really struggle in this lazy area. Would you help me put together a plan and would you hold me accountable? And then number five, start somewhere. Everybody knows that this is the most difficult part of any work. You've heard that a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, so you got to start somewhere. And when I get to stand up and teach, this is the fun part. The hard part is that blank computer screen and that flashing little cursor that seems to be saying to me, dumb guy, dumb guy, dumb guy, dumb guy. I mean, I sit there and wonder, what am I going to say and how am I going to say it? But I know i got to start somewhere. And if you don't know where to start, Start with your relationship with God. I mean, are you snacking on spiritual junk food instead of spiritual meat? Are you actively working to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength? Don't let your faith grow fat and lazy. Start there. Or maybe God keeps putting somebody's name on your heart, that co-worker, that relative, that friend, that, that neighbor. I mean, you've thought about inviting them, but comfort kicks in. and You don't do the right thing. Friends, if God's Spirit has put a name on your heart, don't battle God's Spirit. Call these people right after the service today and invite them. Ask them, what time can I pick you up next week? Remember, laziness is when comfort wins over effort, and we fail to do the right thing. James 4.17 says, remember, 
it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Let's be honest. The reason we're lazy in areas of our life is because it's hard work. So what are the chances of us actually doing the work that's required to change in this area? Or in any of the areas that we've talked about in the last five weeks? If we're really honest, wouldn't we say that the chances are pretty slim? Now why would we say that? Well, two reasons. One, we were born with this sin nature. And two, laziness is very attractive. Of being a good steward of the time, talents, and treasure that God has given us. But I'm here to tell you that God is rooting you on. He believes in you and He wants to partner with you. He doesn't want you to stay the same. He wants you to have a deeper relationship with Him and a deep relationship with other people. I'm rooting for you too, friends. I, I believe you can do the right thing, that you can care for other people, and that you can learn to say what a gift today is. I want to live with few regrets and deep satisfaction. So, God, what do you have for me today? How can I be the best manager of my time, talents, and treasures? What divine appointment do you have in store for me? You know, when I was working on this message, the most thrilling part was when it hit me that Jesus was tempted to be lazy, too. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. The difference is he didn't sin. I'm so happy, and I think you're happy, too, that Jesus chose discomfort over comfort, that he chose to obey his father's timeline. I'm so thankful that when Jesus approached Jerusalem on that day we call Palm Sunday before he was about to be crucified and the crowds were waving palm branches and cheering him on, that Jesus knew what faced him and he chose discomfort so he could do the right thing. I'm so thankful that his choices made it possible for us to live the preferred life that God has in store for, us, for his children forgiveness for your past, a plan for your present, and a place in eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we don't want to be the same people we were when we came in. We, we want to be different, and we can't do it on our own. We've tried, and we know areas of our life where we're just flat-out lazy. We have chosen comfort over effort, and we're not doing the right thing. We know that when the Spirit convicts us, that's you knocking on our heart. You want us to change. You want us to be different. And because we can't do it on our own, we beg for your help. Give us a strength that's greater than our own. Give us the courage that's deeper than our own. Give us a wisdom that is wiser than our own. And Father, thank you that we are stewards of the time and talents and treasures that you give us. Thank you that you have entrusted the gift of time to us. May we not lack sense, and may our lives bring you pleasure. We thank you for your love, even when we fail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.